Good morning, Crosswalk. Happy, merry, almost Christmas, whatever adjectives we add to that. Good to have you here. How many people still have uh, Christmas shopping left to do? Lots of Christmas shopping? Yeah, you're not stressed about that at all, though. Um, I hope and pray you have a great Christmas. Just a reminder, uh, Lydia announced it at the beginning, but I know we kind of funnel in and and that kind of stuff. But next week, we are not meeting on Saturday morning. We're going to meet Friday night. We're going to have a special night of worship in addition to some great music and readings. I understand there's going to be like a hot chocolate bar um, and some other stuff happening. So come out and enjoy Friday night. And then the blessing and beauty of Saturday morning is Christmas Eve, sleep in. I'm already dreaming about it. I'm so excited. Uh, and then uh, the worship services online that you can catch from Crosswalk happen at 9, at 10.30, and 12. Um, so stay in your PJs, worship at home, enjoy your day. Uh, but just a reminder about that. And uh, I want to also just highlight our volunteers that work so hard. There are people that get here at 7.30 every Saturday morning to get things set up and in place. And the band practices all week and gets together and works hard. And the cafe and the kids and everybody. We had our volunteer Christmas party last Saturday night. And thankfully, no one got hurt. But they almost did. Uh, we, we do white elephant uh, at Crosswalk, a little hyper, uh, you know, white elephant. And, and so there were some people sprawling across the floor. Um, and the, the hot item gifts this year were, were blankets that look like pizza. I don't know why that's a thing, but that's what everybody wanted. So anyway, um, so another reason to volunteer and get involved at Crosswalk, because uh, we do crazy things. But we're excited to have you guys here uh, on this, uh, this seventh installment of our series called This Generous Life. And next week is our last one, talking about the incarnation of Jesus. But before I begin today, I do want to start with a word of prayer. So pray with me. Gracious Holy Spirit, the one who is in this room, has been in this room, waiting for us to arrive. I pray that you would open our hearts and you would open our minds up to not only uh, know the spirit that is within us, but that the life of Jesus would come to life in us so this world would experience a little more light and a little more love in your precious and holy name. Amen. Amen. Three moments in time, three encounters, three experiences that I still struggle to put into words, but I'm gonna try this morning. For the first one, I had extended my layover in Seattle while I was trying to head back home. I extended my stay so that I could rent a car, drive directly to the hospital, and connect with the family in crisis. Their 19-year-old positive force of nature a student at Walla Walla University was taking advantage of the first day of sunshine in the Walla Walla Valley for weeks. And she was riding out on West Whitman Drive, enjoying the sunshine, taking it all in, when a driver came along and was blinded by that same sun and hit her. Technically, her life ended on West Whitman Drive, but the paramedics were able to revive her in hopes of a miracle in hopes, maybe if nothing else, that her organs could be saved to save the lives of others. As I walked into the room that day, there were faces stained with tears, there were heads down on beds, 
people holding Maddie's hands and arms and legs. But there was someone else in the room that day, someone you couldn't see, but you could definitely feel and tell was there, crying with the family, wrapping their arms around mom and dad and sister, and just being in the moment. As I had my arm around mom and I was holding on to Maddie's hand, I felt this sudden urge that I needed to lean over and kiss Maddie's forehead. It was an odd impulse in one sense because I didn't know Maddie very well. It seemed more appropriate for a gesture for a family member or a close friend, but I felt as if I was meant to do that. I was doing it for that other person that was in the room who couldn't be seen. Then, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, 2011, I sat in a room with 178 other people who had come together by invitation of a trusted friend who said, you've got to come and join us for a couple of days. We're going to get together and we're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about how in our church and in our lives, Jesus has really become a side dish instead of the main meal. And so people from all around the world got together in this room for two days and we talked about the supremacy and the primacy and the centrality of Jesus Christ. And while I was in that room and those conversations and those messages and the songs that were sung, I felt a deep ache within me that was awakened, a, a fire that was kindled. It was something I can't explain, but I realized that also in that room there was someone else a part of every conversation, someone else that was there, a part of every song that was sung, every hug that was shared between two people. There was someone else in the room that day. And then, most recently, I was sitting in the living room of one of our church elders in Northeast Portland just a few weeks ago. And we gather together on Thursday morning to pray, and we pray for our community, and we pray for the needs of our members, and we pray for our families, we pray for our church. And at the end of our prayer that particular day, there's about 30 seconds of silence. It wasn't something that we, we planned. It wasn't something that happened on a regular basis. But we sat there in this silence and we just knew that no one, no one should speak just yet. There's this moment. It's happened to me before when I've been in groups with other people. This just moment of sitting and being in the presence of someone else that was in the room that day. I don't have good words for it. All I've been able to call it is this holy, sacred silence. What did all three of these moments have in common? The hospital room in Seattle, the convention hall in Georgia, the living room in Northeast Portland. What they all had in common is that in those rooms, there was someone else unseen, guiding and directing conversations, stirring and moving in hearts and minds, pointing those of us in the room to someone else and birthing a new life inside of us. So as a part of our series of This Generous Life, we have spent time in the First Testament, or the Old Testament, as they call it, and we were looking at stories in that book, that, uh, in those series of books that talk about living generously. Um, and we looked at those stories, and then three weeks ago, we transitioned into the Christmas story to look at the characters in the Christmas story to figure out what we can learn about living generous lives based on the characters that we meet in the birth of the Christ child. 
We looked at a life of giving and service through the characters of Mary and Joseph, the chosen parents of the Son of God, who risked their lives, not just at the birth of Jesus, but all throughout their lives, risked their lives to bring Jesus into the world. This week, we're looking at another critical but often misunderstood character in the Christmas story, but also a misunderstood and even neglected character in our lives. But without this character, there would be no Christmas story And we would have no power and we would feel hopelessly alone. We meet this character in the Annunciation of the Christ Child. As the story goes, the angel Gabriel came to the virgin named Mary, tells her that she will conceive a child who is to be the promised Messiah that they've been waiting for for over 500 years. Mary's confused. She understandably doesn't get how a virgin can conceive a child. Then the angel tells her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. God will accomplish the impossible. A virgin will receive the promise through the Holy Spirit, the power of the Most High. But what or who is the Holy Spirit, and what does this Holy Spirit have to teach us about the generosity of God? Well, theologians and philosophers, pastors and parishioners have argued about the Holy Spirit for many years. And the doctrine we call the Trinity that talks about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is something that people have argued about and wrestled over for thousands of years. In fact, it has become so, it was so controversial, it has split churches and denominations as they wrestle with what this means. What is the Holy Spirit? How does one know they have the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit a person, a presence, a power that emanates from God? Is the Holy Spirit a feeling? What's the relationship between God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit? In fact, in the Adventist church, of which we are a part of, the early Adventists also wrestled with this, and they were considered anti-Trinitarian, which means they didn't believe in the doctrine of the Trinity as we do today. They didn't believe that God, Jesus, and the Spirit were equal or one and the same. They denied that there were three persons that were also in some way, somehow, one person at the same time. They believed that Jesus was created by God and thus was subservient to God. And the Holy Spirit was simply the, the, the presence or power of God, but not a separate or equal being. However, it doesn't take much time in studying the scriptures to realize that the early Adventists had it wrong. There were passages such as this exchange between Jesus and his disciple, Philip. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and and yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, so why are you asking me to show him to you? Or places when Jesus said to those at the temple, the Father and I are one. Or even when Jesus used the very sacred and holy name of God to describe himself. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. I am Yahweh, the sacred name of God. And here we have Jesus, seemingly a human being, a man standing before them who took the holy name of God for himself. Through more study, a different understanding of the Trinity began to emerge. Three beings, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that are all separate and yet one. 
we see these three beings in the story of creation. In Genesis 1, the story of the earth begins with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the book of John tells us who else was there at the beginning, at creation. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word is Jesus. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But admittedly, the doctrine of the Trinity is difficult for us to understand and to fully wrap our heads around because it is not of human origin. It is of God. The same God whose thoughts are higher than our thoughts and whose ways are higher than our ways. We can try to have some sort of definitive understanding of the Holy Trinity, but we will always fall short. There will always be more to know. There will always be mystery. Of these three characters and roles, the Holy Spirit is often the most misunderstood. You have God, the Holy Transcendent One, Jesus, the Holy Incarnate One, And then there's the Holy Spirit, the one that brings God's holy presence to us, creating our intimacy with him. But if I'm honest, for me, the Spirit has been the most elusive and hard for me to wrap my brain around. In my prayer life, I use my imagination a lot. I often think about sitting on a park bench with God somewhere, and I don't know why God always seems to be this older, stately gentleman with white hair and a white beard. I don't know why. That's, that's what it is. And then I've imagined sitting with Jesus uh, somewhere by some water and just having a conversation with him. But the Holy Spirit has been hard to put into form and structure as a person. And I'm not alone in this. I don't know if any of you read the book or watched the movie, The Shack. Um, but in that book, he tries, William Paul Young, who's from the Northwest, he's a local guy, I got to talk to him once, super cool guy, Um, he actually tries to put a form and structure to how the Holy Trinity would come and connect with a man who was shattered with grief. And knowing that man's background, God comes to that man in a way that he would welcome. And so, God is represented as a black woman who's in the kitchen and often fixing a meal while, he, while she talks to him. And then Jesus is a Middle Eastern man, which I don't know if you realize this, but that's probably pretty accurate. Um, he probably wasn't a white guy uh, who has a British accent like so many movies uh, you know, portrayed him for so long. I remember first watching, I think it was uh, the Matthew videos or something like that, and I was like, wait, 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 Jesus is Middle Eastern? How can that be? He's supposed to be a white guy. Not true. So he had Jesus as a white, uh, as a, sorry, Middle Eastern guy, um, and, uh, and Jesus was often in the shop. Uh, he was a carpenter, and he was working on a project, and then the Holy Spirit was represented as a woman who looked Asian, Asian descent, uh, and, but every time that the main character tried to focus on the woman, it was as if she was see-through. It, it was hard to focus on. It's a fascinating take on the Trinity. It's a good book. I recommend it. In the scriptures, we read about the, the Spirit of God coming down as a dove at Jesus' baptism, but the Spirit was not a dove. We also uh, read about the Spirit coming to the disciples on the day of Pentecost, and it, the Spirit appeared as tongues of fire, but the Spirit is not tongues of fire. So what is the Spirit? In the most simplistic of definitions, the Holy Spirit, like Jesus, is a person and brings God's power and presence to us. 
Now, there is debate on the gender of the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word for spirit is ruach, which is feminine. The Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is masculine. Whatever the case, we know this, that when God created human beings, he created them male and female, Adam and Eve, and so the Holy Trinity must have gender, the gender attributes. However you imagine the Holy Spirit, he or she is an equal member of the Trinity, which represents a triune relationship that has always existed. Each member equal, each member God, each member with a specific purpose and role. And in God's generous love for his creation that rebelled against him, God dismembers himself. God dismembers himself by sending the Holy Spirit to plant the seed of the Son of God into Mary. And then Jesus, the Son of God, becomes flesh and lives among us. And then on the cross, when Jesus dies, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is severed for the first time in all of creation. For three days, the Holy Trinity doesn't exist. It is just the Spirit and God. But then Jesus resurrects from the dead. The relationship is restored. And soon Jesus ascends back to be with the Father, but sends the Holy Spirit so that we are not alone. And the Spirit takes Jesus' place among us. So then where is this Holy Spirit? Again, the easy answer is everywhere. The psalmist once wrote, I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to the heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask the darkness to hide me and the light around me to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Darkness and light are the same to you. We are also told that the Spirit lives in us. Now, we could do a whole series on what this means, but here are a few things from scripture, uh, scriptures about what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives life. As Paul wrote to Titus, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Again, Paul wrote in Romans, and Christ lives within you, so even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because you have been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So the Spirit gives life. In the story of the Christ child, the Spirit literally gives the Christ child the life that, became, that came to life in Jesus. For us, it is the Spirit of Jesus. His life comes to life in us as evidenced by the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, uh, self-control, faithfulness. So when you are able to forgive someone who seems unforgivable... That is Christ formed in you who empowers you to do what seems impossible. 
When you do something for God that you didn't think you could ever possibly do, that is Christ formed in you, enabling you through the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God is calling you to do. So the Spirit gives life, and according to Jesus, the Spirit leads us into truth. In his last words to the disciples before his crucifixion, Jesus had a lot to say about the Holy Spirit. He begins by saying, If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. As you can imagine, it wasn't easy for Jesus to depart from his friends, but he assured them that they'd never be alone. The advocate, also translated as comforter, helper, intercessor, was to take the place of Jesus with the disciples, continuing to deepen their understanding of truth, of who God is, of how God loves, and revealing our true identities as children of God. So then we ask, what is the truth Jesus speaks of? Well, Jesus would go on to say that the Spirit teaches and reminds us of what Jesus taught. But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. And how can we tell what the truth is? That we are listening to the right Spirit? Because the Spirit testifies about Jesus. But I will send you the advocate, the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify all about me. If you are learning and listening, if what you are learning and listening to is not drawing you nearer to Jesus, to a deeper understanding of and connection to him, then it is not the spirit of God. And lastly, according to Jesus, the spirit convicts us. And when the advocate comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. Now, we have talked about this before. I will say it again because it is so critical. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin, not ours. It is the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. Our job is to love people. And as a part of the conviction of the Spirit, he will remind us of how good God is and how much we need him. So with all this knowledge of who the Spirit is, what the Spirit does, the question comes, how do we receive the Spirit so Jesus' generous life and presence is birthed in us? Well, it's not complicated. We are told that the Spirit lives in those who believe in and receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And the symbol of that? Baptism. But you may wonder, if that's true, and there are over 2 billion professed Christians in the world, then why isn't more of the world changed by the presence of Jesus? Why is the love of so many growing cold? Why do far too many Christians have your reputations of being mean and judgmental rather than loving and sacrificial? Well, we must remember that we serve a benevolent God who won't force himself on anyone. We may choose to believe in God, but not surrender our lives to him. We may seek to have a little bit of Jesus, just enough to feel better about ourselves, but not so much that our lives have to change dramatically. So we keep the spirit at arm's length. We invite her into our lives and into our homes, 
but we show her to her room and we give her the rules of living in our house and then we lock her in the room and let her out just when we need a blessing or a little bit of feel good. But that's not the call of Christ. Our call is to surrender all of ourselves to the spirit of the living God. We must give the spirit full access to our lives, to the places of our deepest hurts and pains, the places of betrayal, the places of hatred and anger and pride and brokenness and stubbornness and fear. We must give God's spirit full access because when we do, the spirit goes to work to change us from the inside out and we become extensions of God's presence in the world. We become his presence in the hospital room, in the convention hall, in the living room, his presence at work and online and on the freeway. And when we laugh and when we cry and when we sing, it is when we surrender to his spirit that we are truly the body of Christ. But to surrender and allow God's spirit full access to our lives isn't easy, and it's a daily, hourly, often moment-by-moment experience. To do so, we must learn to commune with the spirit. And this communing with the spirit is countercultural to the way the world works. It's why it's so hard. The world is about moving faster, producing more, climbing ladders, getting our way, whereas the way of the Spirit is about slowing and resting and being, trusting and descending in order to serve others. It's about listening and surrendering, and it takes time because intimacy takes time time. Intimacy can't be rushed. It's not like grabbing a coffee or a cup of cold water on your way out the door. It is a way of life, of giving God access to all of you so that Jesus may be birthed again and again and again and again into this world. We are called to be the body of Christ in a world of chaos and darkness. We are called to be his living temples, sharing his generous presence in the lives of others. To do so, we must slow down, remove the constant noise from our lives, put down the phone, turn off the TV, be still and know that he is God. And one of the best places to do that, since that doesn't come supernaturally to us, is to do it within community, where we can support each other, encourage one another, the Holy Spirit is God's generous presence in us. And as we surrender to his presence in us, we become that presence for others. So how do we receive and get more of the Spirit? According to Jesus, it's simple. All we have to do is ask. Jesus said, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Jesus promised us God's presence to be with us always, the Holy Spirit. As we open ourselves up to his presence, surrender our ways, he will give us even more than we can ask for or imagine. So let us receive his generous presence. Let us give him full access to all of our lives and let us be his presence to this dark world so that it could have a little more light. Would you pray with me?
Father, God, Jesus, Spirit, we need a fresh wind. We long for the fragrance of heaven in our church and in our lives. And we seek your holy anointing and the power of your presence in us. We do all this because you invited us to do so. Because I believe you are here in this room, that unseen presence that brings us peace. So let us receive and be generous so that with your presence we may be in we may be your presence to others. So pour out your spirit upon us. Come to life within us, I pray. For this world needs more of you. We need more of you. And I know, I know you're here. So help us open our hearts and give you our lives, all of our lives, holy unto you. Precious and holy and powerful name of Jesus, we pray these things.